Yeah. You know, it just makes me think about it now because we're talking about eighth grade and I felt so cringy about myself for forever. And it's like, also, I didn't know better. Yeah. Also, like... I was an eighth grader. But yeah. This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. For 14 years now, Debbie Millman has been talking with designers and other creative people about what they do, how they got to be who they are, and what they're thinking about and working on. On this podcast, Debbie talks to Bo Burnham about his film Eighth Grade and to the young star of that movie, Elsie Fisher. I was simultaneously the most prepared and least prepared I could be for the role. And that is you know. being the most prepared. Kayla's not yeah. prepared for her yeah. life. The interview took place in October 2018 at Adobe Max in Los Angeles in front of a live audience. But you won't hear the audience because it was recorded inside of an Airstream trailer. Here's Debbie. Is your team designing an app from scratch? Rethinking the look and feel of your brand? Maybe taking on something massive like transforming your brand's entire customer journey? Well, don't do it the old way, passing numberless one-off comps through endless emails. Instead, do it all in one place. Do it in Adobe XD. Now, for free, with the new starter plan. Adobe XD combines the ability to both design, prototype, and share in a single solution. Its combination of creativity and productivity lets your teams eliminate bottlenecks and simplify workflows. They can now create an interactive prototype and then share it with teammates and reviewers in a single place. It keeps up with today's creative demands by letting your team work when and where they want across Windows, iOS, the web, and more. Adobe XD has helped big brands change the way they create and review prototypes at a large scale. So don't do it the old way. Use Adobe XD, the design platform for the future, available today for free. For more information, visit xd.adobe.com today. In review of your film, Eighth Grade, Mark Jackson stated this, Middle school is a rite of passage, a pilgrimage, or an odyssey, trying to get to the land of coolness. Or not. There's the navigating of the desert of loneliness, the sailing of the oceans of embarrassment, the tripping and banging on the chin on the boulders of shame. There's the running of all the nightmarish social gauntlets. It might be the most horrible time of life. This is one of the most poignantly accurate descriptions of the multitude of emotions that occur when viewing Bo Burnham's remarkable film. Part of what makes this movie so transcendent is the performance of the actress Elsie Fisher as 13-year-old Kayla, who is, aptly, in eighth grade. Bo Burnham and Elsie Fisher are here with me now for a very special live episode of Design Matters here at the Adobe Max Conference in Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Bo and Elsie. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I love that metaphor. I'd love to extend that metaphor further. The Conestoga wagon of <laughs> one's own body falling to the 
dysentery. Of, I'm just thinking of Oregon Trail now. <laughs> but I like that. That was very vivid, beautiful. Yeah. Book. Well, I was just Bucolic quoting description. Mark Johnson. I that was uh, Mark Jackson. One of the best uh, reviews that I that I. Yeah, I, I didn't heard. I've never heard any of that. Oh, I love yeah, that. I could uh, listen to that for, forever. <laughs> Audio book. That was man. awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you both about eighth grade and your experiences of working together. But before we dive into the film, I want to ask you each a few questions about your lives pre eighth grade. So from like four to sixth grade. Okay, great. <laughs> Mrs. Van and Bosch. Uh, Mrs. Teacher. Van Alst was mine in sixth grade. I remember mm. that. Mrs. What? Mrs. Van Alst. Uh, yeah. She was very kind to me. You know what's so funny? I always feel like I remember that like teachers' names always sound like teachers' names. Oh, like, yeah, I had yeah. Mrs. Penniman. Like you only meet Mrs. Penniman when she's your first grade teacher. Yes. Mrs. Right? Yeah, Rajinsky yeah. was my kindergarten teacher, perfect. right? Perfect. I had yes, Mrs. Perfect. Salter. That's a very oh, teacher name. That's kind of like Roald Dahl-esque, I feel. That's, that's like, true, yeah. 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 Sort of chaotic neutral. Okay. <laughs> so, Bo, I want to start with you. You were born in Hamilton, Massachusetts. You were the youngest of three children. Your dad owned a construction company, and your mom was a hospice nurse. Mm. And I understand you were um, self-described precocious teenager, and you chose to live in your parents' attic. <laughs> 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 they just some of the verbs are funny. I don't, I don't think I. Cho- I don't think I would self describe as precocious. I certainly didn't choose to live there. I didn't have much of a choice. Like the oldest always lived in the attic because that was a better uh, room. Okay. And then as they all, you know, as my sister went to college, my brother went up there. As my brother went to college, I went up there. Um, my father was as, as a residential contractor. My mother was a nurse throughout my life and became sort of a hospice nurse later in life. Um, but yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty much right. I don't know why choosing to live in the attic was funny. I think Elsie made Elsie laugh because it just sort of seems like me. Yeah. Would scurry up into the attic. Well, that's also why I asked it. I'm like, okay, that sounds like something Bo would do. Let's find out why. Yes, yes. Um, so I, I know you graduated from St. John's Preparatory School with honors after being involved in theater. And Elsie, you might laugh at this one too. The campus ministry program. Mm. So, so why a ministry? <laughs> why a ministry program? It's a Catholic school, so it really was just sort of like there's um, it's more just like the charity sort of wing. It's like I know most mm. schools have just like social, you know, where you go and do good things. And since it was oh, yeah. Catholic, it was sort of campus ministry. But there's a wing of Catholicism where ministry is a lot of sort of charity work. But it wasn't like... So no intention of ever going into the ministry? Uh, when I was really young, yeah, I did like the idea of going into the ministry because I felt like, I don't know, it's, it's a place where you thought about things and talked to people. So I, I liked that a lot. But no, in high school, I wasn't like transubstantiating. Is that the word? No, no, what's the... Is that right? I love that you're looking at Elsie for this. Well, what is it? The, yeah, Glad yeah. You're Transubstantiation is, is, is turning I know the... five words, and they all consist of like. <laughs> yeah. Like is an epidemic, isn't it? Like, you know, but it makes like... sense. Well, it's, I mean, we're living in relativistic times, so I don't think people like to directly, you know, the simile is out of control. That's fair, yeah. Um, but yeah, I wasn't changing water into wine. And I think that's the verb of it. That was the point. <laughs> in 2006, while you were still in high school, you videotaped yourself performing a self-penned song titled, My Whole Family Thinks I'm Gay, and then posted it on YouTube, which at the time was less than one year old. Mm. What what provoked you to do this? I was writing songs for, in my. I was doing theater and writing it for my theater friends and just making them laugh. And then I tried to show my brother online. And I decided at 16, I'm going to do something of such low quality that I can only improve over time, which is a strategic move <laughs> low on bar. my It was a strategic move on my part. But yeah, it was, it was like, I wanted to just show my brother and maybe other people. But like the paradigm of like v- 
being going viral didn't exist. Right. You know, like there weren't like viral videos. There were like, have you seen the one of the lady falling off stomping grapes? And you know that one? Like, yeah. what are they? like that's a oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. super yeah, yeah, classic yeah. one. Yeah. Um, where she was stomping grapes and falls off and goes, oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that sort of the stuff was it was more like America's funniest home videos, right, which the yeah. internet sort of still is. It, it feels like it's reverted back to that now. I know, and that's because like, it yeah. went through a phase where now everything is going viral. Everything has like millions of views yes, or whatever. Yes, yes. And now the best videos are the ones that have all lowercase titles, and it's like, man barks like dog. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You're totally right. Uh, you know what? And I did lowercase titles. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And it didn't say like. You know, thing Bo Burnham song HD. To, you know, I mean, like all this stuff. Yeah, it was just like yeah, one actually, word. No, I was I was curious about that because it mm. was sort of undesigned, almost intentionally. Well, yeah, but it just like that is the design of it a little of of just wanting to be able to be expressive in the small places you can be, and one of those is like the titles and just wanting to be a little tasteful with it. But then at a certain point, going like. That you should probably just get people to watch as much as you can. <laughs> and if you, at, at a certain point for a few years, if you didn't put HD in the title, people wouldn't switch it to it. But yeah, I I I, I thought there was design as I could design them, and that design was sort of very D, DIY, very homemade, very sort of, you know, I made this thing out of popsicle sticks, wanting it just to feel like that. You continued to release what you described as original pubescent musical comedy songs and videos. I don't know if I've described all these things, but yes, <laughs> but yes, someone is. I don't. I certainly wasn't describing them as original pubescent. <laughs> Pu- puberty's I, not that I, I original. I have this in, in quotes. So okay, yeah, it, it yeah. Generally means that I found it. Um, oh boy, but Maybe, that's you know, okay. That's I was okay. probably a different man. We, we can, we boy. can, we can deny You're a boy, it. Man. Actually, that's. Funny I will because, deny most of this. Okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, and and you put them up on YouTube, and according to the Boston Globe, this is. Is a Boston Globe quote, not a Bo Burnham quote. Okay. As sub- simultaneously wholesome and disturbing, intimate <laughs> in a folksy, creepy sort of way. Sure. Um, you created videos that had an intentional DIY feel, almost like voyeurism. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the songs went viral. At one point, you were receiving over a million hits a day, and you became one of YouTube's first stars. At that point in your life, what were you imagining your future was going to be after all of this attention? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's like, because it didn't really change my life. Like, like my actual mm-hmm. life stayed the same. Like, I had these crazy numbers going up online. But, like, I don't know. There's, like, a world right now where, like, if you go viral or something, you're, like, on Ellen and, like, you're on, yeah, you know I mean? Yeah, like, you're yeah. on Instagram and all these other things. Like, there wasn't that. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. Right. So I kind of just hit my videos. There was no real way to contact me. People were just kind of mm-hmm. liking it. I just was hoping at that time to, I knew I, I wanted to somehow transfer to doing it on stage you know i wanted to i didn't want to make a career out of making videos not because i looked down on it it was just like i liked performing and i started performing and when i would perform the songs that were already online live they would get like tepid laughter and then when i performed songs that no one had ever heard live they people would react for the first Mm -hmm. time so then i was like okay this is what i want to do i want to build a show and start writing to perform live so that's what was really nice is that having that little built-in audience made it so I could go to, you know, sell a hundred tickets in, you know, every city. You were admitted to New York University Tisch School of the Arts to study experimental theater, but instead deferred your admission for a year to pursue a career in comedy. Did you ever go back? I did not. 
And oh, I'm supposed to go. I have class right now, actually. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, I never went back. Um, by the time you were 18, you became the youngest comic to have a solo special on Comedy Central. By 19, you had international. You had an international tour and won the Comedy Awards Panel Prize at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. By the time you were 23, you worked with Judd Apatow, Sid Throgan, and Adam Sandler. You recorded three musical comedy albums. Now, you're working behind the camera for the first time with a new film titled Eighth Grade. The film is about a 13-year-old girl named Kayla, who's in the final year of middle school. From what I understand, the character was inspired by a period in your life, in your early 20s, when you were experiencing panic attacks on stage. How did that experience inform the film? Um, well, it was a very visceral sort of new experience for me that had sort of been probably um, set up by the rest of my life. I mean, like it wasn't out of completely nowhere, but it certainly was a climax or event sort of horizon moment that I didn't think was coming. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, really the path towards it translating to eighth grade about, you know, middle school girl was that basically, I, I, you know, as I started to experience panic, my way to cope with it was to talk about it on stage. And, you know, me talking about it on stage was in the context of what I was doing, which is performing for, you know, audiences of at that point, you know, a thousand people or so. And, um, I, I started doing my stand-up and thought, no one is going to relate to this unless they're a C-list, D-list, com you know, celebrity comedian that performs for audiences. And I would, and and then I did my shows and talked about this stuff, and you know, fifteen-year-old girls would come up to me after the show and say, "I feel exactly like you do. Exactly what you're talking about is what I'm going through." And I'm going, "What are you talking about? You don't, you're not on tour. You're not performing. You know." And I realized that I had sort of. Through talking about performance anxiety, I had sort of unknowingly backed into a, uh, I think, a shared generational experience of, of me and the people younger than me. And it was sort of the realization of my career, which is that um, the stresses I feel as, as a sort of, again, D-list celebrity have been democratized to an entire generation. And now everyone feels like they're being watched. Everyone feels like there's a proper noun version of their self that they have to maintain and curate and perform. Mm -hmm. And so basically it was like, okay, on, on stage I've been telling our story through my experience. Now let's, now let's explore our story through your experience. That was the thing. If, if you can see yourself in me, up here, I, I, I should be able to see myself and you in your everyday life. So, um, yeah. One of the things that you've stated about that experience was that you think that this is a particular time in our culture that makes us all eighth graders, that there's eighth graders, we're all, we've all become eighth graders. Yeah. That anxiety. Yeah. I feel like the moment is just very eighth grade, what's happening right now, like literally kind of like bullying and mm. not a high reading level in the culture it feels like but also just like things are changing it feels like culture is maybe going through a little bit of puberty right now or something it feels like the internet is in what as well I yeah think. exactly yeah. and like the internet's yeah and the internet's like it's a little younger than that but like yeah the internet's hitting puberty kind of almost um it's it, the internet was like sort of fun and it was this like playing with trucks and toys and now all of a sudden it's becoming self-aware in the same way a person does and it's inviting a, an emotional life into itself the way I never really mm -hmm. thought of it that way but I think that's true as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just think like the way when I talk about the current moment 
I sound 13. When my friends do, they sound 13. When I see my friends on the internet, they're acting 13. So I thought, oh, if I'm going to talk about Our president acts 13. Exactly, at <laughs> best. So it's, it's like, I thought, oh, if I'm going to make a story about the internet, I should make a story about, whenever I write about anyone on the internet, they were they they felt like they were 13. So I was like, I might as well make it about an actual 13-year-old mm. because they're the only ones acting their own age. I read that you wanted to make a movie that took an emotional inventory of what today's teenagers are experiencing. How would you describe that experience? Am I supposed to keep answering? <laughs> She's got better, probably got better answers than I do. Well, you said or that social media forces kids not to yeah. to not just live their experience, but to be nostalgic for their experience mm. while they're living it. Yeah, to watch people watch them, and that's been haunting me. Mm. Yeah, that's my that's my experience. You know, I don't really have an arm's length view of kids. I right. feel like we're all sort of experiencing it and kids are just experiencing it in a very fresh, different sort of uncontextualized way because they have no other world to compare it to. But yeah, the feeling is something like that, some sort of depersonalization, weird meta floating over yourself, taking inventory of your life, not being in the moment, disassociative. It's something disassociative and strange. Why a story about a girl? Well, there's a lot of answers to it. Um, I relate related more to the girls now just because the girls, I think, were engaging more with the questions I was engaging with. Mm. Sort of like existential questions, I think, because I think girls are just kind of forced to engage with those questions earlier. And also it being a girl, I didn't have to... I couldn't project my own experience, so I couldn't bring my past into it. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted it to feel fresh and new. So I couldn't... I, I didn't a lot of stories about kids it feels like it's an adult going all right let me show you what childhood's like because I remember it and I've figured it out now because I'm an adult with it being a girl I couldn't think that way I had to be kind of confused about it I had to feel like she did and not have any authority over it Elsie Fisher plays Kayla who you stated without her playing the role the movie was dead it was her or nothing you've even stated that the movie shouldn't have been green lit before you found her how did you find her? Saw a video of her online <laughs> getting interviewed about brownies or something. And <laughs> Really? I, brownies yeah. the food or brownies the scout? The food. Brownies the food. Yeah. I'm I'm like, I love baking. I've baked brownies like she, for forever. She bakes Girl Scouts. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and she, she came in and she was just the only person that understood what the part was, which was a person that people saw as shy but she wanted to be other than that everyone else played shy when they came in they played shy she played shot she played confident someone struggling to be confident rather than someone s- struggling to be shy no one wants to be shy yeah. so she just understood it in a way that mm. no one else did and that yeah I no i mean so. that basically um i mean it's weird to look back on it now from like here because i mean there i was i mean i i deal with anxiety so it was very much personal for me the movie but like i don't know it's weird to dissect my own even audition yeah you were a kid you were two years well what was it now almost two years it would it would be two years i was 13 when i auditioned so yeah 
You were discovered, Elsie, when you were four years old. According to your dad, one night <laughs> when you went to see him play at a jazz club where he was working, you jumped on stage and started acting. <laughs> After that, you got an agent and started acting professionally by the time you were five years old. Um, so, What does that mean, though? What, what, what do you mean you started acting? Exactly. Uh, that was, like, thank you. My question, question exactly. Is was? <laughs> the, the story is kind of weird. So my dad is actually a waiter, or he was a waiter at this jazz restaurant and our friend was a bassist and he would make are the... you sure you didn't just watch la la land and you're still even watching <laughs> la la land <laughs> listen man sometimes it works but like i mean i don't remember i was like four but <laughs> um but no i mean our friend was a bassist and he would like make the bass talk to me slap into bass yeah <laughs> and i think i was like Probably like you know talking back to it. I mean, like I was a kid. Oh, I was just oh, having. Oh, that's fun. I was having like fun on oh, stage. So you were and, like, interacting so with the like, bass. Boom, 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 and you were going like. Blah, 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 or yeah. Wow. No wonder. <laughs> yeah. No wonder you discovered. So you you voiced Agnes in the two Despicable Me films, and yeah. so so how did that come about? How did you get those roles? Um, you weren't even able to read when you got those. She still roles. can't read. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Bo had to, like, say the lines. Hieroglyphics. On... Well, actually, I have a lot of questions okay. about um, how you managed right, the right. script because I heard you got very little prep time. So mm. yeah. but tell us about Despicable um, Me. No, yeah, with Despicable Me, I was a young kid, and it was, like, the literally first or second role I ever got. Um, and it was one of the first auditions I ever went to also. Um, so I How felt... do you audition for something when you can't read the the lines for the part. And without a bass there, too. Without yeah. a bassist. I mean, one of the bassist, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question, though. How do you, uh, yeah. Again, I mean, without talent. She's got talent. I, feel, She's I mean, got I do. Talent. I do feel like when I recollect these yeah, stories, I'm talking about another I'm person. I'm like... Why is that? Be, I mean, I don't remember, and it's not something I ever talk about. I'm more mm. like living moment to moment. <laughs> oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, Four, though, is young. I can't remember four at all. Right, yeah. I just... I remember being in the auditions and, like, like, I would audition with the two other girls. We actually had group auditions. So I would go to auditions and they would, like you know, have someone playing Edith and, and Margot, and then... Uh... With the Minions cool? <laughs> <laughs> I actually know how they voice the Minions. It's really interesting. How? Is this confidential? Oh, yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> is, yeah, it? Is, it is it confidential? No, oh, it's, like, it's like a mix of a ton of languages and the and gibberish also. You asked such a good question. I've never heard yeah. these que- I've never heard these answers, so now I'm bulldozing asking <laughs> Oh, well, should, no, this no, is no, great. No, I, should, love yeah. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I so I, I don't... I don't remember how I auditioned for it, but I know when we were recording, there was a producer in the room, and he would say the lines how they wanted me to say them, and I would just repeat it. I know... Actually, I think I memorized, like, most of the script, now that I'm remembering. I, like... He can confirm. She is very good I have a weird memory. Very good Pretty memory. good. Um, so tell me if you remember this. Is it true that when you were recording Despicable <laughs> Me that the directors asked you to sing a song about unicorns and you made one up on the spot? Yeah, a yeah. Song? Do you remember it? Can you sing it? I don't. It's a oh, one-time performance. Is it, is it in the movie? Yeah. The song you made up? Yeah. Oh, Dude, so I had an iTunes single at like five. Whoa. I know. Wiki, wiki. Coming for you, singers. OG <laughs> iTunes. <Yes. laughs> so, I've lost the ability. 
<laughs> you know he's going to make you sing it, though. <laughs> no, but, never. Oh, no, never. That was enough. The wiki wiki. Enough <laughs> for a lifetime. <laughs> uh, you finished eighth grade just a few weeks before eighth grade started filming. Yeah. Your, your actual eighth grade before the film started filming. And you told Jimmy Kimmel that the experience of being in eighth grade, <laughs> the real one, made you want to drop out of school because it was that bad. Was it? Really yeah, yeah. So, I mean, school's never been great for me, and it, it, my school experience has been very weird, because I've always been a weird kid, which I can now attribute to what I think was anxiety back then. Um, right, I mean, yeah, I just didn't know what it was, and all. I was also five. Um, but, like, yeah, I moved to a new school, like, the last year of elementary, and then I went to this middle school, so it was, it was just a lot of change in a quick period of time. And... Yeah, I mean, I was just always a weird kid. I was dealing with stuff, and eighth grade just felt like the culmination of that. And I was watching my peers, and they all seemed so, like, teenager-ish, and I still felt like a fifth grader, which was weird. Oh. Um, yeah, no, so, I mean, most of my school has sucked. Uh, but, yeah, eighth grade was, like, a big just, like, culmination of a lot of things happening. Um, you know, and I wasn't doing any acting stuff for a while, and I missed it, but... Um, I mean, I had to consider kind of stopping acting because it was taking me out of school all the time, and then I wasn't getting jobs. So it was, like, just a mix of a lot of stuff. Yeah, I can look back on it now and say eighth grade was the worst year of my life. Was it for Was it you? Yeah, absolutely. The worst year of my life. And it wasn't even that bad for me, but some mm. people say it was, but it was, it was the worst one for you? Absolutely. Mm. The worst. Seventh and eighth grade were, were horrible, What was horrible it about years. it for you? I was the epitome of uncool. Yeah. I remember... I remember once hanging out with some of my friends and we were all kind of like the nerdy smart kids mm. which now I'm really happy about mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah so but then I was game. mortified yeah. um, and I had bad bad hair mm. and was trying to do my makeup in ways that would now mortify me if anybody yeah would ever I remember see. I remember when I was in eighth grade I was so self-conscious about my acne because it was worse back then than it is now and I mean like kids would point it out because I I you know it's I live in an affluent area, whatever. All the kids have, like, clear skin, whatever. Um, but, like, I had, like, this really, like, it, it felt very orange on my face. I went into school looking like Garfield. Uh, and, oh, like, you said Garfield? They were, like, was on no, no, no one told right. me until after, but, like, people would, like, look at me and it's like... Ugh. You know what, though? I mean, I don't care now. I do like homeschooling. You can look now. orange and you can become president. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good point. Yeah. Although I, I looked orange too, but I looked orange because I was trying to use the spray-on tan stuff. So Aww. I used the spray-on. I went to Florida with my dad, came mm. back, and had used the spray-on tan stuff on my skin and the spray-on hair stuff in my hair. And I looked like an alien. I really yeah. did. And I, I really, and I look back on it now with so much pathos. I, I, I thought right. I looked good. And people asked me why I was orange. And I was I was just <laughs> so, I was ashamed and humiliated. Yeah. And Like, I'm, I'm so done with, like, cringe culture, though. I mean, like, it's especially relevant now because, I mean, like, for instance, there's all those kids playing Fortnite. That Explain view. to the, the, uh, like, the older cringe culture. Cringe culture, cringe culture yeah. in my in my definition, yeah. is like when people are enjoying something and you just think it's you, you just think it's lame. Yeah, and, yeah. But cringe culture is just another 
you know, name for it. But I'm like, I'm just so sick of it. Because, I mean, mm. that's something I did with, like, Minecraft. I used to play it. And now, yeah, or when I was in eighth grade, I thought all the kids that played it were so stupid and, and dumb. And you're cringy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah like, I, know, I hate that. Whenever it's, like, cringe. And it's, but like, it's like, we're all going to die. Like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> but really, it's like, get <laughs> it in like, perspective. But, like, yeah. you know, it just makes me think about it now. Because we're talking about eighth grade. And I felt so cringy about myself for forever. And it's, like, also, I didn't know better. Yeah. Also, I like, was an eighth grader. But, yeah. Let's talk about how you... See, we're over it. (laughs) We're over it. Well, actually, the one thing that I can add for anybody that's listening that that did experience that as well or is experiencing it now, Mm. I've been out of high school for a very, very long time, many, many decades. (laughs) Ten years after I graduated, I went to my 10th year high school reunion. Mm. And one of the things that I was really struck by was how I felt about the people that had bullied me while I was in Mm. school. So I was always the last girl to be chosen for the dodgeball team and so Mm. on and so forth. There was a woman, Anella Williams, who bullied me mercilessly. First and last name. First and last name. (laughs) Doxing right now. (laughs) Her address is... No, I actually don't know where she lives now. But at the time, she had bullied me. And I remember looking at her and thinking, what was I so afraid of? You know, she seemed smaller than I remembered, and I couldn't believe that I'd spent that much time agonizing over people mm. that meant nothing and to me And then at that moment, she made eye contact with you and crushed a Coors Light in her bare hand. You're like, <laughs> And I started oh, right, weeping that's, that's, and ran out. That's, that's why. That's what I was afraid of. <laughs> that's what she did to my soul. Yeah, you know, well, the thing is, like, and Glee sort of popularized this, which I don't love, is the idea of, like, don't worry, because, like, the bullies, like, one day they'll be pumping your gas. And I'm like, well, first of all, like... People don't pump gas in California. Who pumps gas That's true, <laughs> but also, like, it's noble to pump gas. Like, it's so no, mean to, to be like, gas. don't worry, like, don't, like, oh, yeah, you're a bully? Well, I'm better than you, bully, because you're going to be poor. It's like, no, no, you're a bully, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we should just know that, like, everyone's got their stuff going on. For and sure. kids, you know, like... I I also knew kids that were lashing out at school that like that because they didn't you know because they got lashed yeah, out was, at, yeah, at they got a lot of stuff at home that oh, they wanted yeah. to bring so it's like everyone's got their stuff and just like be open and listen and try to be kind to people and yeah just be yeah. patient with each other because it's like everyone's everyone's dealing with their own stuff in, in that specific time in their oh, own yeah, way especially. you know right. Mm. Actually, I think this this makes sense to, to mention this particular comment that I read about your performance, Elsie. The way you played Kayla has been described as at once very average and incredibly special. Mm. And I think that that could be said for the reviews. What I we... think the reviews sort of <laughs> <laughs> go from average to very special. No, but but I but I think it's really interesting to consider that anybody that is experiencing not feeling special, not feeling understood, not feeling seen, being bullied. You know, these are things that we hold in ourselves. We can, mm. everyone can be at the same time, mm. average and incredibly special. Mm. Yeah. But you were able to convey so much in the role of Kayla. There was a a sense of wanting, a sense of longing, a sense of shame. You were able to convey all of that at the same time. And I know it's probably a question that would be difficult to answer, but I do mm. want to ask it. How were you able to do that? How were you able to hold so many multitudes in one space? Yeah, well, <laughs> um, um, I mean, the honest answer is I don't know, but I mean, I tried to just treat Kayla like a person and act as if I was just living in her shoes. I mean, I guess that's all acting is, but mm. um, yeah, I tried not to obj- objectify her. 
Um, but I mean, a lot of those emotions I just channeled from how I was feeling. I wanted to be good in the movie. It was like so much to me. It meant so much that I got to have that opportunity, you know, and the Kayla wants to be cool and they can correlate in a lot of ways. And I mean, like I feel her anxiety. I felt it sometimes on set. I would be anxious. So I was just in character. I, I read that Bo only let you read the script once, mm. but then he wouldn't let you read it again because he didn't want you to overprepare and mm. overread it before you shot it. Was that anxiety producing or did that actually help? It was anxiety anxiety inducing at first. Um, but I mean, I, I got sides every day. And again, that was a little. Sides are the script? Like, yeah, yeah, just the, the script. Pages for yeah, the just for the scenes we were doing. Um, Shoot, like six pages a day or something. Yeah, yeah. And again, that was like kind of scary at first, but the way it ended up working out was like really good for me because I feel like if I did have the entire script at my disposal at all times, I would, first of all, I would have the entire thing memorized, but I would also not be able to play Kayla, I think, the way I did. Mm. I would overanalyze Mm. and, and... be like, oh, well, if she acts this way in the beginning of the mm, script, then she'll mm. act this way later. Yes, yes, and yes. it's like, it's not like we even filmed the movie in order yeah. or it was put in the order necessarily that the script was written. So it's it, it worked out really beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, my job to look after that stuff. Yeah, you yeah. just take it a day by day. The opening scene of the film features Kayla making a video for YouTube. And in that moment, we <clears throat> instantly instantly understand who Kayla is. <laughs> the writing contributes to this, obviously, as well as your portrayal of Kayla, which is just perfection. <laughs> but I read that um, this was always the way you envisioned the opening scene of the movie, mm-hmm. and that was what you actually wrote first. Can you talk a little bit about how you came up with that scene? Yeah, I mean, I was just like, my way even into this world was watching vlogs of, of kids talking about themselves online. I mean, mostly girls, because I, I the joke is that, like, which is true, is like, boys talked about Fortnite, girls talked about their souls. And like, that is just true. Um, And it was the thing that engaged me like most about the story was that like watching these videos of these kids in their bedrooms, speaking to camera, soliloquizing about their own life 10 minutes at a time. It was like, they existed in such sharp contrast to the teens I had seen portrayed in movies and television, which like in the beginning or the end of the movie, they give a monologue that summarizes themselves or the journey they've been on. It's perfectly articulate and perfectly mm. performed and perfectly said. Yeah. And watching these kids, I was like, I won't say the movies, but I'm like, oh, they're trying to sound like that character in the movie they've heard. They're trying right, to sound like right. Ferris Bueller or whatever, you know, <laughs> and they can't. And like, because they're kids and they're not professional screenwriters, you know, and they're trying to think in real time and they're stumbling over their words and they're backtracking mm. and they're stuttering. And, and these kids, like, they were showing, like, the truth that writers, we are always trying to deny, which is that, like, our words fail us. Our words, our words are pale imitations of the things we have yeah, in our head yeah. and the distance between our vision of ourself and our head and the way we articulate it out of our mouth is vast and disappointing and and yeah um, i mean i would call myself a somewhat articulate teen and even i'm like stumbling yeah, this I, entire I, thing and it's it's just never enough like you yeah. never can do it like the way they do in the movies and these kids watching these videos of these kids like in real time trying to articulate themselves and failing was to me the it was like this is life. This is such a perfect description of what it means to be alive right now in a world where you have to articulate yourself in this world of archetypes and 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 uh, uh, 
just representations of people and mm. you are your own representation, you are your own articulation, you are your own storyteller, all that stuff. And these videos these kids were doing, it was like at, all at once these videos were public, private, personal, uh, specific, generic, totally a, a lie and yet mm. completely honest. Like, And it was just – I thought if this was a performance in the movie, it would be incredible. And then the question that is immediately begged when you're watching these videos is, what is their actual life like? Right. And how is it similar or different than what they're saying it's like? And either one is interesting. The way the way that it coincides with what they're saying mm-hmm. and the way it w- with, that it conflicts with what they're saying uh, would be perfect. So that the movie really was, from the videos out, worked from the videos outward to, the, to her life. Elsie, how did you prepare for the role? How did mm. you embody Kayla? Having panic attacks. <laughs> no, I mean, that's actually not a joke. She, I spent, was, she spent a year in eighth yeah. grade having panic attacks. <laughs> no, I mean, there wasn't a lot I could do to prepare because I feel like I was the most prepared I could be when, like, I was simultaneously the most prepared and least prepared I could be for the role. And that is you know. being the most prepared. Kayla's not yeah. prepared for her yeah. own life. Um, yeah, because again, like, you know, you know, yeah, if I, if I had time or the resources to overanalyze the role, I would just not, it would not be the same. I read that you made Bo change part, the part of the the <laughs> script wherein the characters were messaging on Facebook. Um, so why yeah. did you why did you make him change that? Because I mean, the truth is, is like kids right now are not using Facebook, and the movie should feel current mm. somewhat. I mean, like you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a 2018 movie. Yeah, yeah, it's not Facebook, and I kind of I had a feeling. And then Facebook told us, like, they're calling it SOS Teen because all the teens are leaving or something. <laughs> well, my favorite – one of my favorite parts of the film is when the kids are all in the mall and they're talking about Snapchat mm. as a defining moment in mm. their evolution as people. Like, when did – when they – went on Snapchat signifies the generation that they belong to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that to me was genius. Snapchat is not anywhere near as popular as it once was. Mm. As somebody who is a, in the generation of people that grew up with it, why do you think it isn't as popular anymore? I don't know. I mean, is that right? And it, that's it's just been like what the last 24 months or something? Yeah. I think Instagram copied a lot of the stories. Right, right, right. The stories really took away from it, right? Yeah, I think so because uh, Snapchat lives off of such a, like, you know, temporary format. And now there is a temporary format. And now there is a temporary format and a permanent format on one app. So why would you use Snapchat? I mean, like, I mean, yeah, no offense, Snapchat, but I mean, I don't use Snapchat. I never did, though. Offense taken on behalf of Snapchat. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um... Yeah, no, I don't know. It is interesting, though. The kids in the movie are on their phones. Should know in public. <laughs> yeah. The IPO. Sorry. No, not at all. <laughs> the kids in the film are on their phones nearly constantly and in eerily relatable scenes. Kayla lies awake at night, her face glowing from the light of her phone. The movie also portrays teens presenting different versions of themselves online, as you were talking about how you came upon the idea originally, Bo. Um, but I don't know anyone on social media that doesn't do that. It's not mm. just you – know, yeah, I mean, I yeah, think exactly. it's, it's just this way now that we portray yeah. who we want people to think we are. Mm. And I'm just wondering philosophically, do you think we're doomed? Oh, sure. But not probably from that. I mean, mm. I don't know. I mean, we are we are literally 
we are literally doomed. Well, yeah, I, yeah obviously we'll fall into the sun at some point. But yeah, but in no, a but, yeah. but, 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 but really, like, and I don't even mean that as like necessarily a joke. But right, um, right. Yeah, no, I don't think we're doomed necessarily. I, I mean, mean, it wouldn't be social media's fault alone, at least. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I think just the sort of culture is sort of the the, the tail is finally wagging the dog, in, in, mm. in the way that, of course, it was always going to. You know, I mean, we thought like cult- culture was this just like peripheral decorative thing that's sort of like. You know, culture is the tree, not the fruit anymore. Mm. Um, uh, or whatever. I'm stretching way too many metaphors. No, I understand um, that. Though. Uh, but it does seem mm. like there's an awful lot of pressure to have an online presence. Yes, and yeah. that's not going away. No. Because there's, there's a thing I get told all the time, like, we're going to get a generation that unplugs. And it's like, mm, not everything's no. cyclical. Like, sometimes, like, cars show up and there are no more horses anymore. Um, and I think that's what's happening. And if you watch oh. a three-year-old with an iPad, it's like... No, my... Know, my... I tell you, there are... There are still horses somewhere. What? No. Yeah. Yeah, but they usually have a carriage behind them and they're being <sighs> treated really badly in cities as opposed to like farms. Those aren't real. <laughs> Those are two guys, right? <laughs> that Bo is now making a, a, a visual image of, of being in a costume. Uh, of a pantomimed horse. Yes. <laughs> um, I was being the back half. Um, but yeah, uh, you watch a baby with an iPad and you realize that like, this stuff's being meant to appeal to us before we're like yeah, even yeah. cognitive or whatever. My so. my ten year old nephew has a YouTube channel mm. and he's making custom Lego. Now yeah. I'm super proud of him because yes, he's doing incredible really incredible things mm. with Lego and he's talking about it all in a way that I could never have when I was mm. that age. Mm. But it does really make you think about the performative nature exactly. of what we're doing exactly. and how much are we doing for ourselves and how much are we doing for reaction. Yes, yes. And just like viewing the, the weird little example I have, which, I, which I've had multiple people tell me this exact example that my, my nephews have, which is that there are kids online that have channels of uh, like four-year-olds, five-year-olds of like Jonathan's toy channel. And it's their dad filming them while mm. they open toys and play with their toys. And kids watch this stuff. My nephew watches it sometimes. And then one day, like he was playing with my sister, his mother, and he was like, mommy, like tell the subscribers about the thing and she's going like and like there's no camera there and she goes like okay you can't watch this stuff anymore like it was like like Truman Show-esque weird meta disassociative things of yourself of you're not just living your life your life is being seen and is a commodity to be seen and is an image to be seen it's like the old thing of like when the camera first showed up and and people were scared of getting your picture taken because they thought it took a piece of your soul like I think that is true I think Mm. that is in a way yeah true but despite this critique of of culture, the movie is not in any way preachy or sanctimonious. Mm. And and sorry, what's no. really interesting about it is that you are able to strike just the right tone where people are coming from that film able to make their own assessments of what they believe about the experiences of Kayla and life. Um, even when the reality of what we're seeing is rather terrifying. I mean, mm. there are some moments in the film where I was really scared mm. about where you might have been going. There's one scene in which Kayla's school has a safety shooter drill um, that was frightening and sort mm. of the way in which it's become... Banal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mm. suddenly we're watching the reality of what kids have to experience yeah, like, in this time, which is something that my generation and Bo, I'm assuming yours as well, yeah. never had to go through. I had Columbine when I was in fifth grade, so like mm. that was big for us like i've i've had this specter of shootings and bombings at school for a while 
but it never got to drills. Drills is a very, very recent yeah. uh, thing. Yeah, and there's also a, a moment in the film, one of the darkest moments in the film, whether when we're not sure whether or not Kayla is going to be sexually assaulted. Mm. And you state this about those scenes, Bo. The hope is to be honest and portray the background noise of the character's life, which is incredibly sexual and insane, and portray their inner life through that, which as a kid, na- which is a kid navigating the world where things are exploding and the country's on fire. Do you think... And, th- and this is a question for both of you because I think there's a sort of much different perspective. Um, do you think that this is a sustainable way for kids to live now? Do you think that this is just the n- new normal? Hopefully not. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's healthy or sustainable. I don't was know. Was it healthy when we were all going to sock hops and that's true? Everyone yeah. but white people were miserable. <laughs> you know, I mean, everyone that wasn't I mean, white was miserable. You know, what I mean, so it's like. Part of what's happening right now, too, is that, like, the internet just given visibility to the world. So now, right, like, right. we know what's wrong. So, you know what I mean? There was, like, a world yeah, where we're all, like, it's, like, make America great again. So, like, it's, it's more just, like, make America blind and forget again. So, like, I, I do hope people at least – because it feels like the culture is as bad as it's ever gotten. And But it just it just Most cultures visible. feel that way, though. I mean – But the, it's visible. It's just yeah. as visible as it's ever been. So it's, like, the sort of underground violence sexually, explicitly – uh, racially, anything like that used to be buried and, and no one had access to it. And now we're seeing it. Now there's mm. actual visibility and accountability. So as we're addressing this stuff, I think we should be, of yeah, course, yeah. appalled, but not cynical to believe that we've taken a huge step backward. I think it actually is the product mm. of a step forward in a yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely a step forward. I To me, the world, I mean, I don't have experience of other generations and living during then, but Mm. the world feels like very like separated right now and not even separated, but there's just like so much the world has like these two polar opposites. You can see all this, you know, equality and and people being accepted more and there's just more forgiveness and humanity and that's being broadcast to people. Mm. And then there's just, as you said, like the insanity and that's being broadcast to people too. And that's just like, just more, just more There's of everything. There's more, yeah. Of everything. So, I mean, like, yeah. it is a step in the right direction. I think kids right now, how our lives are, and teens, you know, and, and just people, it is a step in the right direction, but hopefully that isn't the new normal forever. Hopefully we can find a good in-between of stuff. Yeah. It's the volume <laughs> and the bandwidth that yeah. terrifies me, not the character of it. Yeah. And yeah. I actually think the character... Uh, erodes because of the bandwidth because Mm. of the speed because we're moving at a speed and a volume that we're just not emotionally suited for we're trying to actualize and streamline our social lives it makes no sense you can streamline your we can streamline clean energy that's great you want to streamline tech and think fine you want to streamline how we view ourselves and how we view our friends and how we communicate with each other you can't do that we're applying like a crazy capitalist logic to our social interior life to like our souls Mm. i mean it's very weird oh you oh it took 10 minutes to get to work now it takes two minutes because we made this really cool car okay that's fine that's that's great Mm. you talked to 10 people to 10 years ago now you can talk to a thousand oh wait wait no no no, that doesn't stop doing like that doesn't we don't need to we don't need to uh streamline that we don't need to actualize that Mm. part of ourselves i don't think Uh, i mean I, i don't know it's weird I don't really know what it is. I just, I, I, I don't think anyone does. I just, I, I, I think we're more interested in just having the conversation on these terms because obviously the problem is the things that we're talking about are the forms of communication themselves, and obviously the forms of communication themselves probably have a vested interest in not 
hosting a conversation that interrogates <laughs> their very structure. You know what I mean? Right, so right. That, that's the problem. It's like, and I don't blame them. I don't, I don't think it's because it's evil fat cats smoking cigars doing this. It's just structurally that's what happens. Um, and especially when long form conversation is probably the way to do it. And these things are, the you know, but that's why podcasts are good and, you know, talking is <laughs> well, good. Well, I, I also am, though I can be very despairing at, about the state of the world, I am optimistic because of today's youth who I feel are empowered and mm. activated and galvanized in ways that we haven't seen mm. since the civil rights movement. Yeah. And mm. that really does give me hope. And people are, it's just like, like Elsie said, like we can, like the internet would be so much easy, so easy to address if it was bad. Just throw your phones in the ocean. It's not. Yeah. It's like it has given visibility to people that do not have visibility. Absolutely. It has given like no, a lot of incredibly yeah. lonely people a community. I mean, it's the reason why we're here right now. It mm, not only mm, inspired yeah, yeah. the movie, but it's kind of part of the reason I got discovered. And for me, it. my, my, yeah, my and, entire career is yeah. because of it. I have two final questions left for you both. Mm. Um, Elsie, after you finished filming Eighth Grade, you tried out for your high school play and you <laughs> didn't get the part. Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it's a fun joke and a fun story to tell. Um, but, like, I mean, theater takes a really intense set of skills. And after, you know, going through a movie where I have to be quiet for 90 minutes... <laughs> Maybe, you know, I, I'm not good at speaking loud to crowds. Um, it is it is pretty funny, though. Um, and also freshmen. I think it's like meant structure. Like freshmen aren't supposed to get parts. My, my friend who's a freshman got eight parts. Oh, boy. We hate her. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> While you are appearing in the next Adams Family movie, yeah. um, I read that you're also considering becoming a scientist or a veterinarian when you get older. I, I think that was more younger Elsie. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I just saying, I'm that. not not interested in that. I mean, like, I think science is super cool. One of my favorite classes in, you know, my school right now is earth science. Mm. Um, Upper mantle, lower mantle. Rust. No, dude, we're in like space. It's like everything. Oh, so not even Earth. Yeah, it's Damn. like Earth plus science. Oh my gosh. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, I keep adding letters, those young people. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm more focused in like entertainment careers now, though, because like I'm not really smart enough to be a scientist, and I'm not willing to work enough for that. Um, you can play a scientist on television. We'll see. Fisher, MD, veterinarian. <laughs> That's okay. Um, We're on CBS. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of podcasts, I understand that you like Dungeons and Dragons and oh, even yes. have a podcast about that. I do. I play Dungeons and Dragons with my friends and we record it. And we recently had special person guest Patton Oswalt on our podcast and that was very cool. Was there anyone else cool on it recently? Your episode's not out yet. Okay. But it's coming up. Yeah. So we can talk like about next that. Week. I did not yeah. know how to play it. <laughs> it was fun. We had fun. Yeah, we That's had fun. all that matters. Yeah. Bo, I, I read that you try not to think of your future career, but mm. I'd really love to know, do you enjoy working as a director? Any plans for... I love it. Yeah. I would love to do it again. Yeah. I mean, I... It was the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life, for mm. sure. And will you continue with any more stand-up? I hope so. I hope to get back. I have to, like, mm. want to write stuff. You know, yeah, I have to, like, yeah. feel... And it just, it's, it's like, right now I don't feel urgently like I want to get up and talk to everybody. Mm. Um, it just feels like it's a time where a lot of people are getting up and talking. And um, I, it was so much more exciting to collaborate with people. Mm. So, um, yeah, but maybe. Maybe I'll go back. I, I've been writing stuff and been enjoying writing it just for my own sake. 
Bo Burnham and Elsie Fisher, thank you for bringing the world one of the most best and most powerful films I've seen in a long, long time. And thank you so much for joining me today for this very special live episode of Design Matters here at Adobe Max in Los Angeles, California. This is the 14th year I've been doing Design Matters, and I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. For more information about Design Matters or to subscribe to our newsletter, go to debbiemillman.com. If you love this podcast, please consider contributing to our Drip Kickstarter community. Members get early access to the podcast, transcripts of every interview, invitations to live interviews, Q&A sessions with guests, and a brand new annual magazine. You can learn more about this at d.rip slash Debbie slash Millman. That's d.rip slash Debbie dash Millman. And if you really like this podcast, please write a review in the iTunes store and link to the podcast on social media. Design Matters is produced by Curtis Fox Productions. The show is published exclusively by designobserver.com and recorded at the School of Visual Arts Masters in Branding program in New York City. The editor-in-chief of Design Matters Media is Zachary Pettit, and the art director is Emily Weiland. Generous support for Design Matters Media is provided by Adobe XD and Wix.com.